you who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm a member here at, uh, at the church, and I will be doing the scripture reading for tonight. Uh, tonight we are going to be in Psalm 79. We're going to uh, read the whole, the whole chapter, or the whole book. Um, so for those of you who have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to Psalm 79. If you do not have a Bible, uh, we have Bibles up front for you. If you'd like to take one of those, that is our gift to you. Uh, we also, you can also uh, open your phone or on your computer, uh, turn to Psalm 79. Right. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you, according to your great power. Preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors, the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, worship team. Well, good evening, Doxology. It is good to be with you all. Special welcome to any of you who may be new, and also a very special and warm welcome to any moms who are with us today. Uh, we're so grateful for you and the role that you play in raising up the next generation of little ones and the next generation of disciples. So. Uh, thank you so, so much. So we are continuing in our series in the book of Psalms. It's called, uh, It is Good to Be Near God, or It is Good to Draw Near to God, because what we, what we want to develop over these next few months is the instinct of drawing near to God ourselves, so not becoming, uh, you could say, secondhand Christians, where we learn to know God through books or through podcasts or speakers, as helpful as, helpful as those things are, but in a first-hand way, going before God ourselves amid all the ups and downs of our lives. And today we are turning up the heat a little bit because we are talking about drawing near to God amid anger. Anger, okay? I mean, I know we're a more reserved congregation, but we have to talk about this. And, you know, I've been spending time with uh, John, who's leading worship for us this weekend. We've been hanging out a little bit this weekend, and we had a, oh, you too moment where we were talking. We realized both of us had a lot of experiences growing up in the church where you're in a church setting where, like, if you're not constantly experiencing the, like, butterfly and unicorn kind of feely feel, happy feels, like, all of the time, then you must not be a Christian. And what I love about the Psalms is the Psalms give us permission to experience the, the darker emotions uh, that we go through. Uh, and more than that, how to process it rightly uh, before the real God who is there. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And as we walk through this, just an encouragement I have for you guys is when you walk through a passage like this, it's easy to think about somebody else in your life who's an angry person. Because most, if not all of us, have been hurt by angry people. 
And so it's easy to think, oh, I really wish so-and-so could hear this right now. But I just want to encourage you guys to think about yourself during this because all of us need to hear this. And maybe even most of all those of us who don't think we're angry people uh, because it's there under the surface. Okay, so uh, three things we're going to see about how to deal with anger in our lives. Number one, we'll see admit your anger. Number two, you need to process your anger. And number three, you need to get really honest about your anger. Okay, so number one, you need to admit your anger. Number two, you need to process your anger. And number three, you need to be really honest about your anger. Okay, so first number one, you need to admit your anger. Verse one, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. Now, you can see the superscription above verse 1 where it says a psalm of Asaph. So Asaph was a worship director in the temple. He's a worship director of God's people. So yes, the Israelites, 2,500 to 3,000 years ago, they had worship leaders too. So Luke, John, worship team, you guys come from a rich heritage of something that's been going on as part of God's people for a long time. That's a wonderful thing. And what's going on here is he's, he was, what, what seems like is, is the case from the text is he was an eyewitness to the year 586 BC, when what happened is something that Americans know very little of, and that's when if you're a smaller nation and you have a neighboring big nation, they just come in and they destroy everything in your town and they take away your loved ones. This is what the Babylonians did to the Israelites. And so this has happened, and Asaph is an eyewitness of it, and so now he's composing this prayer to God. And notice the language here. Um, he's not merely just reflecting on it. He's, he's angry. So verse 3, the ba- they, the Babylonians, they've poured out there, talking about people that he knew, their blood like water all around Jerusalem. Verse 6, God, won't you pour out your anger on the nations? Verse 10, he cries out for God to avenge the outpoured blood of, their, of, of his servants. And number 12, he asks God to repay into the lap of their neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you. And so the first principle we see here, see here is Asaph is admitting he's angry. And this is so important if you describe yourself as a Christian. Because in a lot of Christian circles, and I, I think ours as well, you know, it's like there are certain emotions that are just not okay to have if you're a Christian. And so if you're at a small group and you mention something like you're sad or you're stressed, you know, people will come alongside you. But if you're in a small group and you share something like, I am really, really angry, people are going to be like, that's kind of intense. Like, do you need some help? And I think one of the reasons why a lot of us don't handle our anger well is because we don't actually admit we're angry. And anger, it always comes from A, either believing you've been wronged in some way, shape, or form, or B, anger comes out when you defend something, you're defending something that you love. And both of those things, being wrong, defending something you love, are part of being human. And it's going to happen all the time. And so to say, I never get angry is to say, I'm not a human being. And so the first question is here is, do you guys admit to the Lord that you are angry or that you get angry? And maybe some of you are still saying, like, no, I'm just not a very angry person. And maybe that's because you have a one-dimensional view of anger. So I think when some of us think of anger, we think of that scene from, hopefully most of you have seen Elf. The other, the other day I got some good feedback saying that when I share Lord of the Rings like illustrations, not everybody gets it, and apparently one community group is going to watch this series just so they understand illustrations. So I'm sorry about that. Um, I'm not going to stop using them. But for today, in the, in the movie Elf, 
Okay, right, I think most of us have seen that. So you know, there's that scene where Buddy the Elf, his dad is a, you know, is a very serious businessman and his company hires, uh, what's his name, Miles Finch, you know, played by Peter Dinklage, who's a little over four feet tall. He's a, uh, Miles Finch, he's a children's writer and a business tycoon. And so he comes in to consult this company on like how to write good children's stories. And so Buddy the Elf comes into this very serious board meeting and he sees Miles Finch and in complete naivete, he smiles at him and goes, I didn't know you had elves working here. You know, and he looks at Miles and he goes, Did, does Santa know you left the workshop? And Miles looks at him and goes, call me an elf one more time. And, you know, Buddy Elf goes, ooh, he's an angry elf. And then Miles, you know, he sprints across the table and he beats him up, throws him on the table and so forth. And I think that's what most of us think of when we think of being angry, right? This very overt expression of anger. But, you know, when Jesus talks about anger in Matthew 5, for example, the word that he uses to talk about anger is actually more of a, a simmering anger that's ongoing and under the surface. And so anger can also express itself. And so if you are critical of other people, you know, either in your head or with your words, if you rarely affirm people, if you're touchy, like when somebody brings up a, a certain subject, you get really touchy or somebody goes to correct you and you get very defensive, those are all forms of anger. And so do you admit that you get angry in any way, shape, or form? And why is it so important that you do this? Because when you don't admit your anger, especially to God, internalized anger, it sours. And it swells and it builds until finally it overflows into your relationships. And it poisons your relationships. And angry people are very hard to be around. And so if you're not dealing with your anger, you are going to harm the people that you love in your life. You may already be doing harm to people in your life in ways that you may not even be aware of. And so that, that's number one. First, ad admit your anger to God. This makes us uncomfortable, right? But you need to admit your anger to God. That's number one. Number two, after you admit your anger to God, uh, you need to process your anger with him, okay? So you need to process your anger with him. And the first thing you need to do as we look at this psalm is we're obviously not going to look at like every single aspect of anger. We're going to look more at the broad contours of this. But uh, what's one way you process your anger with God? First, ask God to show you why you're angry. Because Psalm 79 answers the question, is it okay to be angry? With the answer, yes, it's okay to be angry if it is right anger, Okay, so what's right anger? Right anger is getting angry about the things that God gets angry about. So God gets angry when his glory is stolen. God gets angry when human beings made in him, his image are mistreated or abused. God gets angry about these things. In Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 5, you see Jesus. There's a man with a withered hand, and a lot of the religious leaders are standing by. Like, they don't want Jesus to heal him because it's the Sabbath. And it says Jesus gets angry. He's angry at the religious leader's hardness of heart, and he's angry at the fact that sin through the brokenness of the world has marred this man's hand. So God gets angry about these things, and, and you see this with the psalmist. So verse 1, the psalmist is angry that the Babylonians have defiled the holy temple where God dwelt. So this is God's glory being marred. Verse 2, they've given, these are people he knew. They've given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. So these are people made in God's image that have been ruthlessly and thoughtlessly destroyed. Verse 9, Help us, O God. Why? So that our lives can be comfortable? No. For the glory of your name. He cares about God's glory. Okay, so these are good reasons to get angry. And so um, this is a right form of anger. And on the flip side, you should ask yourself, if you don't get angry when you think about or you read stories about, uh, for example, particular ethnic groups in our nation being mistreated, 
um, babies being treated cruelly, many other people suffering in silence. If you don't get angry about the things that God gets angry about, you just ask, why am I so indifferent, you know, to these things that make God very righteously angry? Okay, and so what's a form of, of unrighteous anger? Okay, so unrighteous anger would be a concern over your own ego. Um, it could be, you know, because you're trying to protect your ego, or you have some type of self-centered pursuit that you're trying to, to go after, and somebody gets in your way. So as you get angry and you admit your anger to God, just help God, ask God to help you discern, is my anger righteous or unrighteous? Because there is a right form of anger. Okay, so that's the first thing. Number two, after you discern why you're angry and you have God help you with it, is this one we, I think we miss all these steps, but this one in particular I think we miss a lot, especially when it involves other people. Number two, how do you process your anger is you ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Where do we see that? Verse eight. Do not remember against us our former iniquities, but let your compassion come speedily to us. Verse 9, help us, O God, of, your, of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins. So here the psalmist is asking for forgiveness. Why? Well, if you look at Psalm 78, it's the psalm right before this. It's 72 verses uh, detailing how the Israelites acted so appallingly before God. And so when the Babylonians come in, come in, I mean, God had mercifully and patiently over and over pleaded with the Israelites to stop acting in rebellion. And finally, it got so bad, the only way for the people to be woken up was to have the Babylonians rush in and, and destroy their city and carry off a lot of their people into exile. And so what the psalmist is doing here is, one, he's rightly and justifiably lamenting the evil that the Babylonians did. That's important, but also he recognizes that he and the people had a part to play in the judgment that happened. And so he's asking for forgiveness. And so as you think about asking for forgiveness, you know, just, just think about a situation where you're angry about something, uh, particularly if it involves a relationship, is first go before God and ask for forgiveness from him. Because, like, have you ever been in a relationship with somebody where you prove your trust to them over and over again and you constantly sacrifice for them, but they continue to ignore you? or they continue to, to believe that you aren't trustworthy for some reason? That, that's, that's the injustice of that, and yet isn't that a picture of us and God all the time? And, you know, this was a, a month or two ago. I was, I get angry uh, from, from just from time to time, but I get angry. And I was angry with somebody. And I went before the Lord, and God, in his mercy, so firmly yet gently, basically just reminded me, Steve, I mean, how many times have I proven my faithfulness to you? over and over, especially on the cross, and yet you live so many of your hours without, without a thought for me, and yet I forgive you. Can't you, in the same way, forgive this person? And it helped me approach that person with so much more sobriety and, and empathy. So ask for forgiveness before God, because we're always sinning against him every single day, so that it humbles you. But number two is ask for forgiveness from the person that you're angry at, now here, what's, what's very important is I'm not talking about situations where you are truly 0% to blame, like an abuse situation, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a future psalm. That's really important. Okay, so here, I'm talking, I'm not talking about more extreme situations like this. I'm talking about the, most of the situations that play out where there's some kind of relational conflict, and you might say, well, okay, Steve, or okay, Asaph, uh, sure, I need to ask for forgiveness, but in this situation, I'm really only maybe 5% to blame and the other person is 95% to blame. And so, number one, I would just ask you in humility to recognize that your percentages are, are off. 
You know, so in virtually every marriage counseling situation or relational counseling situation, both parties come in saying it's the other person who's contributed 95%, and I've only contributed 5%. So first, just have the humility to admit that your, your percentages are going to be biased in your favor. But number two, and even more importantly, is think about what does the gospel say? The gospel says that when Jesus pursued you to reconcile with you, he was 0% to blame, truly. And you were 100% to blame. And if he, amen, Titus, and if he took the first step toward reconciling with you when you were 100%, he was 0%, can't you take the first step to reconcile if, if, even if you've contributed 5%, which is a, that's a lot in a situation. Okay, so ask for forgiveness and, and seek reconciliation because even as you think about pursuing reconciliation, even if it is a, a, a thing where your anger starts off as righteous anger because this person really did wrong you. How often does the initial spark of anger come righteously, but then how you proceed to deal with it is unrighteous, right? So they commit the wrong, but then in steps two, three, four, five, you get cold to the person, right? You start thinking, I would be very happy if something bad happened to this person, or you start replaying the film of the argument that you had, and you think, oh, if only I'd said this in the moment. Man, that really would have showed them. You know, am I the only one who does that? Or, you know, so that's why Paul in Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, don't sin. Because you can be angry and not sin, but often we get angry, and then we, le- we head into sin. Okay, so first just ask God, why are you angry? And then number two, always ask for forgiveness. Always before God, and then take the step to reconcile with that person, if at all possible as Paul says in Romans, in Romans 12, okay? So that's the second way we process our anger. We, we ask for forgiveness. And then number three, how do we process our anger? And this is implicit through all this, but we need to make it explicit, is we need to bring our anger before God. Because so often when we get angry, especially because angry, it's such an animating emotion. It makes you just want to get up and do stuff. But you need to slow down in your anger and take it before the Lord rather than becoming some kind of spiritual vigilante where you just either, you know, head into a cave on your own or go out and to, you know, try to like wrong the other person who, who damaged you or who wronged you. And so you need to bring it before God and see, see what the psalmist does. All of this language is before God. Verse 1, O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. Verse 5, how long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Verse 9, help us, O God, of our salvation. He's bringing his anger to God. And the thing is, when you bring your anger to God, one, if your anger is the unrighteous kind, where really it's about your own ego or about your own self-centered pursuits, is it's only before God where you can really know yourself. And it's only before God where it's as if you have this mountaintop experience where you can see reality for what it is. And God is so good to show you when your anger is unrighteous and lead you to humility. And in the cases where your anger is justified, where somebody really did wrong you, the, the beautiful thing about taking it to the Lord this isn't about being passive, right? Jesus tells us, you know, he prays, you know, help like your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be part of bringing God's kingdom about on earth as it is in heaven. However, this isn't about being passive, but what it does is when you go before the Lord, when you've been rightly wronged, is number, is number one, it helps you to lay down the melancholy burden of sitting in the executioner's chair, right? Where you really take the position, I know what this person deserves, but when you go before God, you, he reminds you that he's the only one who not only has the right to judge, but he also has the wisdom. He's the only one who knows what this person actually deserves. 
So one, you get to give the role, the judgment seat to God, and he will judge perfectly every single person. And number two, what it does is it, it lets you breathe, just remembering that you, there are so many things in your life that you cannot control, and God does, and he, he always handles it so well, so you can give it to the Lord and say, God, will you act in your justice and your mercy in this situation? Okay, so go before the Lord, admit your anger, um, discern why are you angry, ask for forgiveness, and then give it to the Lord so, the, so you can actually give the Lord room to move in the situation. Okay, and then finally, number three, how do we deal with our anger, is we need to get really honest. We need to get really honest. And as I was meditating on this passage this week, I, I wanted to bring this up, one, because the psalmist models this, but also because I don't know how many of you have, have seen in the Bible that God actually gives you permission to do this. And what I mean is, so we've been talking about anger, and maybe most of us have been thinking about anger at other people. But I want to ask you, are you angry with God? Are you angry with God? You need to answer this question honestly. It could be because maybe he hasn't given, given you something you, you really want. It could be because he's allowed something to happen to you. It could be because he's not acting in a certain way that you believe he should really be asking, are you angry with God? And I don't even know if some of you have ever <laughs> really thought about that before because it's so often seen as improper. But so much of the psalm, I mean, verse 5, how long, O Lord, will you be angry? The psalmist is furious at the Lord. And so he's telling God, and so are you angry with God? And you know what's wonderful about our God is, you know, did you know that when you bring the full assault of your heart at God, you know he's big enough to take it? You're not going to shatter some fragile divine ego if you come at God and tell him you're angry with him. And even more importantly, one of the most astounding character traits about our God is he loves to draw near you where you hurt the most, even if that hurt is your anger with him. And let's turn up the vulnerability a little bit in this room, and I just want to share something from my life, and I hope I can get through it without crying. Um, but I, th I think it'd be helpful sometimes just to share s some of the things your, your pastor has gone through. So uh, a lot of you know that um, Kelsey has had, you know, a fraught history with her health, and there have been some seasons where it's been very minor, and there have been other seasons where there are months where we don't know if we can bear it any longer. And I remember there was this one month, this was five years ago or so, where it was particularly bad. And <laughs> things got so bad where, um, Kelsey gave me permission to share this. Um, she was on the couch lying there, and she was in so much pain that I, I thought she was going to die. <laughs> and up until this point, my prayers were always so buttoned up you know, because I, I didn't, 
I didn't even realize I was so angry at God, but I felt like, you know, like God's now going to judge me if I come before him in anger. But finally, I think it just got to a point where I didn't care anymore. And so the, the dam burst loose, and I went to God, and I won't repeat most of my prayer because it's not appropriate to share up here. But the essence of it was just like, God, what, what is wrong with you? What is wrong? What is wrong with you? Like, why don't you do something about this? And there's so much that he taught me in that evening, more than I have time to share. But just two things he did is one of the things, I think for the first time, one of the things he did was I, I began to know him in a real way for the first time because I was finally just real with what was going on in my heart. And one of the things God told me was, he was oh, child, don't you know that I, too, know what it's like to see the one that they love the most in incredible pain when Jesus was on the cross? And so your suffering and Kelsey's suffering, it's not foreign to me. And in that moment, by me and Kelsey sharing in Christ's sufferings, we actually began to know God more emotionally. And number two, uh, Jesus said to me uh, pretty much what he told Thomas and what he told Thomas in John chapter 21, which was, look at my hands, because these hands speak of the cross, where I can empathize with you in your pain, and these hands speak of payment for sin, where I destroyed the very thing that enabled the brokenness of the world, which is why your wife is in pain. And these hands, they don't just speak of the cross and of payment for sin, but they speak of the fact that I've defeated death. And so even if your worst nightmare happens this evening and Kelsey passes away, the final note of her life will not be pain, but it'll be praise. When she's finally home with me on those white shores in the new earth. And the, the message of this psalm is that message, that though you live and lament today, God is with you in your sorrow. He really sees you in your sorrow, and your life will end in praise. And that's how it ends. Like, look at verse 11, 12, and 13. Verse 11, let the groans of the prisoners come before you. He's asking God to actually hear and feel the groans of, of the suffering people with them. He wants God to be with them. Verse 12, return sevenfold in the lap of our neighbors what they did. So he wants God to come and wipe out every evil thing that's taken place, and God will do that. And then verse 13, but we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. And I love how one commentator put it, Derek Kendry said, what verse 11, 12, and 13 show is the, the cry, or the, 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 um, the song of verse 13, you know, we will recount your praise. It's calling on God to answer verse 11, their pain, and verse 12, justice, so decisively that it's as if the rest of the psalm dissolves into mist, and all that's left is verse 13, where your life ends in praise. And so this week, you don't really change unless you actually practice this. Just my encouragement to you this week is to write or pray a modern Psalm 79. Go before God. For some of you, this may make you very uncomfortable. And admit where you're angry. 
If you're not angry at all, have God show you where you should be angry. And then have him help you see why are you angry. Ask for forgiveness. And then most of all, be so honest with the Lord, even if it's anger at him, so that you give him room to move. And when you do that, you'll find that he helps you to trust him to write a better ending to your life than you could ever compose on your own. What a great Savior we serve. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, just thank you so much for giving us psalms like this in the scriptures to uh, pray things and maybe feel things that we wouldn't uh, without these psalms in there, Lord. And so I I pray that you will help us as individuals and as a church to um, just to practice everything that we've seen in this psalm, Lord, and and especially for those uh, in this church who are angry at you or just deeply wounded from something else in this broken world, Lord, that you will comfort them in the way that you can only do by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for the hope of the resurrection and what that hope gives us to all of us here who are trusting in Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's his name we pray. Amen. So the Lord's Supper is a time to do what we're looking at during this entire series, which is to actually draw near to God on your own. And so just encourage you to, uh, however the Lord may have spoken to you in the, the song so far, Confession Assurance, the psalm that we looked at in the sermon so far, to uh, just take some time in your seat uh, wherever the Lord is leading you and to pray through those things, and then to approach the table and actually experience Jesus in the very unique way in which he meets you at the table. And so if you are a, a, if you are a Christian and you are trusting in Jesus for forgiveness of sins, this table is for you. And you, if you are here and you are not a Christian, uh, ask that you during this time just remain in your seat. And we say that because we want you to live, we want to help you live a consistent life. And it doesn't make sense to approach the table and receive from the table if you're not actually walking as a believer. And so what we'd love for you today is to, rather than approach the table, is to uh, trust Jesus. Hopefully you got even just a small picture about how beautiful he is when we looked at Psalm 79. And so I'll pass along the words to you that Jesus gave to his disciples on the night he was betrayed. And he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, and he says, This is the cup of the new covenant uh, in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
approach the table whenever you're ready. You can take it back to your seat, eat and drink on your own, and then we'll continue in song. <laughs>